Hello, this is Graham Cook. Welcome to the Brilliant Perspectives podcast. Hi, this is Michael Becchio from Brilliant Perspectives. Today's podcast is the second part of our two-part series titled How God Uses Scripture, found on Brilliant TV. Graham expounds upon the insight that the Word of God is not just written scriptures, but is also the person of Jesus, according to John 1.14. Enjoy continuing to discover what it looks like to encounter the living Word, the prophecy of Scripture, and the power of the promises God has prepared for you. Here's Graham. When God gives you an inheritance word, He gives you a critical point of certainty in His relationship with you. This is a place where you can stand. Graham, this word belongs to you, and I am going to shape your life through it. And so that for me means that uh, it's allowed me to enter into a relationship with God in certain contexts that have enabled me to overcome and prevail. So um, what it's done for me in particular is that it's enabled me to prevail in an area of ministry that five other guys who I started out with couldn't do. Two of them killed themselves. Two of them are in mental institutions. One is no longer walking with the Lord. And here's the thing for me. The reason why I have prevailed is because I understood about inheritance words. Your inheritance word keeps you in the heat of battle. It keeps you through the furnace that you go through, that shapes you, that molds you. It keeps you in all of the circumstances of life that otherwise might defeat you and overwhelm you and leave you broken and embittered. What I learned in all of this was to take my promises out of the place of measure and into a place of fullness. My life has been directed. These are only, I have about eight inheritance words. These are just the first two. But I'm learning to take my promises out of a place of measure into a place of fullness. Yet sometimes, you know, we treat promises circumstantially when we should treat them relationally. These words, they are the word of the Lord to me. I love the whole of Scripture, but these verses in particular are mine. They are my inheritance. It's something that God has uniquely spoken to me because this is how God uses Scripture. He doesn't, the prime purpose of God is not to use it in a a corporate context, it's to use it in a deeply personal one. And out of the personal comes the whole, out of the whole comes the particular. He works things back and forth from that. There's an ebb and a flow in that. So that the verses that he gave me have now grown up in me. And when I speak out of the context of my ministry that's developed through that, I can touch a whole room full of people. I was last week in Nashville talking about the new man and a fair amount of resistance, you know, because it's a good old legalistic stronghold, that city. And fair amount of resistance But you know what? There was only a thousand of them. And I have a promise from from Psalm 91 that a thousand would fall at my side and 10,000 by my right hand. Numbers have no meaning for me. That's what it's done. 
I can take on a whole room and I can bend it to the will of God. Why? Because I have an inheritance about it. And so I just set myself to speak so that um, out of my heart, I created an atmosphere in the Spirit because the Holy Spirit was there saying, Son, speak out of this and we'll create an atmosphere and something will happen. And so I just, there was a purple patch of about 15 minutes when I just went on and I was like a racehorse, you know, and just went on about what the gospel is, what the gospel is, what the gospel is. This is who, this is who you are. 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 And at some point, at the end of it, I stopped and I said, welcome to the gospel. And people started standing up and shouting and cheering. People were on their feet. They were standing on their chairs. They were hooting. They were hollering. For like five minutes, it seemed to me, everyone is applauding Jesus. And the whole room got it. Yeah? So we start out in this critical place of of resistance, and we end up in this wonderful place of acceptance. See, that's... When you know that's your inheritance, you know you can step into that place because I have a context for that fight. And I am so going to win because I'm Caleb. Yeah, I have an inheritance. I know what God is going to be for me. So I'm not at all concerned about all of the resistance that's there. I wasn't concerned with the 400 pastors because I knew I could win that fight I knew I, could, I knew I could hold my own in the Q&A. And I knew that in the end of the day, the final word would belong to me. And so it was. So at the end of it all, then the, the one in dismantle, I said, whoa, 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 I have one more thing to say. You've given me all these questions, and not in an honorable way, appreciate that. But here's my question for you. I have one question, and it's this. Take it away with you. Why are you not astonished by Jesus. Why are you guys not astonished by him? Take it away with you. Thanks for coming. We treat promises circumstantially when we should regard them relationally. We call them down into our situations. Here's the thing. This is good. It's a good thing to do that, but there is something that there's a better way of treating a promise. But it is good to call a promise down into your circumstances. But if we only do that, eventually all we get is a measure of what God wants to give us, not the fullness of what he sees over us. Fullness is attached to an ever-growing relationship not our constantly changing circumstances. So the relational reality, everything is relational. Promises are geared to lift us into a fresh experience and encounter with God. We call a word down, but in reality, a promise is designed to call us up into a whole new place of relationship. So Numbers 13, 14 is something I can call down into my circumstances, but more than that, it has called me up as an, and given me an identity with the Holy Spirit. 
So when he and I fight alongside each other, we're pretty much unbeatable. I'm a Caleb. I'm a man of a different spirit. I have a, majest- I have a mindset set on majesty. It is inconceivable to me that God cannot win. So for me, it's like every fight is a good fight, and a good fight is one that you don't lose. <laughs> that would be a bad fight, right? So it's inconceivable to have a mindset set on majesty. I'm so going to win this thing. To the point where I have threatened the enemy on several occasions. I don't think you want to mess with us. See, this is, the, this is what it means, I think, to be more than a conqueror. It's like you know the result before the battle is even joined. It's like, seriously, you want to fight us now? I don't think you want this fight. We're taking this territory, whether you fight or not. And honestly, I don't think it's worth your effort. There's a confidence there. This belongs to us, and we're actually taking it back. It's a warrior spirit. And what it's done for me, too, is it's made me realize that we need a lot more special forces people in the kingdom. We need a lot more. We need a place where we can actually develop and recruit warriors, champions, and game changers. Because we're not going to win this battle with the whosoever. David had a hundred named mighty men who were all renowned for something. And we need the modern day equivalent of David's mighty men and Gideon's 300. I mean, who do you want to be at the end of the day? Do you want to be the one person telling stories about, you know someone from the 300? I know what, I knew one of those guys. I had coffee with him once. Or do you want to be the one of the ones where people are telling the stories about you? You've got to figure that out for yourself, huh? Jesus, today this word is fulfilled in your hearing. This is his hometown church. And everyone's going, but isn't that, isn't that Joe's boy? Isn't that, isn't that the carpenter's? Didn't he make us that table and chairs a few years back? That's Joseph's son, right? His hometown church. He stands up and says, today, I am this word. I am this word and it is me. God uses scripture relationally to enable us to understand our own story and to go on that journey with God, using the promises as signs along the way that open us up to encounters and experiences. This is another word that came to me in 1996. I was struggling under a weight of opposition. I was, doing, I was one of the first ones, I think, in British history to start doing a school of prophecy. And everyone's against me because everyone's saying, you can't teach people to prophesy. Thinking, don't be ridiculous. You can teach them to drive, use a washing machine and a computer. I'm pretty sure you can teach them how to teach people to hear the voice of God and how to speak prophetically. But I had this incredible opposition. And so since, 1990, since 1984, that opposition, 84 was when I first started training in people in prophecy. 
And I had this incredible opposition. And when I, it was okay when I was teaching people how to move in the gift, but when I was teaching people how to move in the ministry, then I, when I began to teach people about the office of a prophet, all hell broke loose in the UK around who I was. And I began, that's when I first began to get massive amounts of hate mail. And so I was being like buried almost under this avalanche of hatred, bitterness and vitriol and judgment and sending me to hell and cursing my family and all of this. I I can't tell you how many curses I got in that time. And I'm buried underneath it and I'm saying, Lord, what do I do? And he gave me another inheritance word. And um, this word has been so important to me Then I put it in the Bible and I use a key to mark it. (laughs) I use a key for this verse because this has been a key word in terms of keeping me sane. And this is what the word says. It's Isaiah 41, verse 8 to 16. Listen to this. This is God talking to me personally. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, Descendant of Abraham, my friend. God always wants you to know what your history is, where you're rooted. And whenever he gives you Israel and Jacob in the same verse, he's talking about transition. I'm going to change you from Jacob to Israel. We're all in transition in some way in our life. So Graham, you're Israel, my servant. Jacob, whom I've chosen. Descendant of Abraham, my friend. You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who are angered at you will be shamed and dishonored. Those who contend with you will be as nothing and will perish. You will seek those who quarrel with you, but will not find them. Those who war with you will be as nothing and non-existent. Time out. He's not talking about people. He's talking about the spirit behind them. I have never fought flesh and blood since I got this. I was pretty good at fighting flesh and blood before and then never understood why I was getting into more trouble. But when I got this, I realized where the real fight was and I stopped fighting flesh and blood and I've never fought it since. I fought the spirit that was behind people. I am the Lord your God who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Do not fear, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, declares the Lord, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I have made you a new sharp threshing sledge with double edges. 
and you will thresh the mountains and pulverize them. You will make the hills like chaff. You will winnow them and the wind will carry them away and the storm will scatter them, but you will rejoice in the Lord. You will glory in the Holy One of Israel. I am raised up to fight, I believe, against false doctrine and wrong teaching. I'm going to pulverize that thing with sharp teeth, but I'm going to rescue the people behind it. This inheritance word has saved my life, saved my sanity. This is the thing, this is the word that maybe stopped me committing suicide or stopped me from going into a mental institution or stopped me from walking away from the Lord because the opposition against my life has been so bitter on days. I've had over 50,000 pieces of hate mail from all over the globe. Numerous detractors inside the prophetic, outside the prophetic. I've been physically attacked. I've been criticized incessantly, verbally abused, and spiritually maligned. I'm still standing. Still here. And the thing is, I'm not here with all my hurts and all my wounds. I'm here, and I think I have a fairly sweet spirit. When my mentor said, Graham, the humble man has an advantage over all other men. No one can put you down. I'm still here. But the fascinating thing too is the Father has enabled me to win the hearts of people who were against me. That's been a kind of bonus. <laughs> there has been lies, rumors, an aggressive campaign, carrot assass assassination, you name it. First bunch of guys that I was working with in the prophetic, they were great guys and I loved them. And I was like the junior prophet on the team and I was just grateful to be in that space with them and learning and so on. It's fabulous. Then I began to notice some discrepancies. And that um, <clears throat> they would take offerings for this project, but would spend it on cars. I began to notice that some of the guys would, when we were staying in hotels, they would be getting into elevators with women who weren't their wives. And I began to get this nagging feeling that something's not right, you know? And so after a while of seeing this kind of behavior and being non-accountable for the money that was being raised, all of these guys have gone to be with the Lord now. And I'll never mention their names. But I went to see them and I said, guys, I don't understand this about the money and I don't understand why is it that some of our team when they're ministering to women, they are hugging them, they're stroking them, and they're telling them they're beautiful. And then after the meeting, I see those women getting into elevators. I don't understand any of that. What's going on? And so they gave me all this kind of fudge and everything else. And I said, well, I just don't feel right. So <clears throat> I just want your blessing. I want, to be, I want to fold my tents and leave, if that's okay. What you're doing is between you and the Lord 
you know, I just want to fold my tents and leave. And they said, okay, you know, and, um, but when people began to ask, why isn't Graham here? This is what they said. <clears throat> you know, we loved Graham. He's a nice guy. Yeah, he's a young guy. He's moving in the prophetic. Uh, we loved him. You know, we were fathers to him, which is true. And, you know, we, um, there were certain things that, you know, couldn't be corrected. There were certain things that, you know, we had conversations with him about certain things. And let's just say that those things never got corrected. And in the end, you know, we, uh, we love him. You know, we'd love to have him back with us. But we just felt right now we really can't walk together. They never told one lie, but they inferred a whole world of things. And my life went to pieces because my phone never rang. I had two small children, another one on the way. I couldn't get a job anywhere. I couldn't get a job in ministry anywhere. I couldn't get any opportunities. The phone never rang. I dropped off the face of the earth. And the only job I could get was digging graves. So it was a big uh, cemetery, and I got the and it was weird shapes with trees. And I got the job of digging graves in inaccessible places where you couldn't get a backhoe to take out that grave. So I'd be digging graves down to about 18 feet, uh, high water table, hard clay, and it was backbreaking work and everything. I remember being in one grave and I dug it down about 12 feet and then it was the weekend and it had rained and so the grave was like 12 inches, 18 inches full of water. So I had a ladder, a spade and a bucket. I had to go down and empty that grave out and then I had to like fill the bucket, climb up the ladder, dump it out, go down and that's all I'm doing all day long. One day, one moment, I'm filling the bucket at nine o'clock in the morning, and I turned around, and one of the guys in the cemetery is taking the ladder as a joke. I'm in that grave all day long, and it's two rest areas at each end, two canteens, and I'm right in the middle, and each team, each gang thinks I'm with the other one. So I'm in that grave from nine o'clock till four, around four, four thirty in the afternoon. And it's like, it would be great to say, and that was when I really hit bottom. No, that was a place I hit on the way to bottom. <laughs> and, I, and what are you going to do? You're in this pit for hours and hours, and it's raining, and the water level's rising. I did a conference called The Water Level is Rising in memoriam of that moment. So I'm in this place, and there's only one thing you can do, and that's worship the Lord. So I began to belt out every worship song I ever knew. And in the end, that's what they heard. Someone's singing over there. We're locking up the cemetery. We need to find out who they are and throw them out. And they come to this hole in the ground, and there's me. There was at one point during that day, and I said, Lord, can I just lay down here and would you just push all this dirt in on top of me? Because it felt like everything was done. Now, in the middle of it all, you know that you're not done, but you want to be. Ever been in that place? You want to be. 
What kept me during that time was my inheritance words. My inheritance words kept me in that moment. One by one, my detractors have all disappeared. But fortunately, they all got replaced by new ones. Some of them have become my friends. Some have walked away from the ministry. But new opposition has taken their place, which to me just means new brothers that I can connect with. Because I began to learn that, hey, it could be worse. No one could be writing to me at all. At least I'm getting 50,000 pieces of mail, right? It could be worse. Then I, I began to see, in terms of what God was doing in my heart, Graham, I'm giving you opportunity to practice grace, practice goodness. How about you and I set out to try and win as many of these people as possible? And he turned my heart around in the whole thing. And this inheritance word, that's why there's a key next to it in Scripture. This word has saved my life on so many occasions. It's pursued me. It's upheld me. If I'd known at the start of my ministry how bitter the opposition would have been, how relentless, how vicious, I don't know if I would have begun. But this Past this inheritance word held me on that road, and I'll always be grateful. And the words of this scripture have pursued me. You are my servant. I've chosen you and not rejected you. Three times it says, do not fear. Twice it says, I will uphold you. Three times it says, I will help you. I will help you. I will help you. And whenever I get in the heat of battle, that's the whisper that I hear on the wind. I will help you. I will help you. I will help you. And for me, it's like, I know exactly where I am in the middle of that trouble spot. I know exactly where I am. I'm in, I'm standing in my inheritance.